GPS, powered by SET. Welcome to Radio Primavera Sound. We're talking today with Balthazar Klawein, um, a Barcelona filmmaker who you uh, hopefully know for his wonderful Radio Primavera Sound show, Connecting Flights. Um, he's made films for so many interesting people, um, and we have talked to him about this before, but today we're going to be talking about his dad, uh, Matty Klawein, who um, is an artist, or who was, excuse me, an artist um, known probably best known um, for doing the the incredible sleeve of Miles Davis's uh, Bitches Brew, which recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. Um, Bathazar, thank you so much for, for not, not coming, but for speaking to me. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for having me here from my confinement. It's uh, a pleasure. So, um, I wanted to know, how did your, how did your dad get into the world of of music um i mean he was always very attached to music because um he was a music lover he played instruments himself he played congas and spanish guitar and um i think uh, i mean it was very organic to him to to be around musicians and 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 then end up um collaborating with a lot of these musicians that he was hanging out with. Um, but yeah, the, the, the music uh, covers sort of moment in his life uh, was really at the end of the 60s, early 70s, when he was living in, in New York. Um, was, was there always music around your house when you were growing up? Yeah, there was, um, yeah, there was a lot of music at home. I mean, he, he was playing music while he was in his studio painting. And uh, also a lot of music uh, in the kitchen when he was cooking, or in general, uh, there was a lot of music in the house. He, he would also host a lot of full moon parties, maybe two or three a year, mm -hmm. so, especially in the summer. So, I mean, it was a very um, musically alive uh, environment. You mentioned um, that he moved to New York. Um, how did that? Why did he move to New York, and then how did that play out? How did he meet people like like Miles Davis? Um, he he moved to New York after having spent twenty years in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, my father was born in, in Germany in, in 1932, and he his father was uh, from a Jewish family. His mother was German, but the, they uh, they fled to Palestine in the around 1935 or so, just before the, the war. And, um, and um, then he, when he was uh, in his late teens, uh, his parents uh, separated and he moved to Paris where he started um, his career as a, as a painter. And um, he, he, I think he, he must have um, gotten tired of uh, the scene in Paris or just wanted to move because um, I mean, he was, a, he was a very nomadic person, was always traveling and moving around. So I think um, he was, um, he was uh, very attracted by the whole scene and the energy of New York in, in, in the late 60s. Um, so yeah, he, he ended up in, in, in living in the States for almost 20 years as well. And um, in terms of meeting Miles Davis, 
Um, he met Miles Davis through a, a friend of his uh, called Stella, who was um, this this young girl who had a, a clothing shop in New York where all the all the musicians would go to uh, to get their styles done, like Jimi Hendrix and Santana and Miles Davis and the and Almond Brothers and just a, a whole bunch of people that would uh, go there to buy their clothes and, and through Stella uh, he met these all these artists because they would um, she would bring them to his loft mm -hmm. in uh, which was in, in Union Square I think and um, they would hang out there and look at his paintings and yeah that, that was kind of like the the connection and there was something I, I mean his his artwork, I'm just looking at Grain of Sand, which was uh, 1963 to 1965. Yeah. Um, it seems to very much fit with the times. I mean, Grain of Sand has got, you know, Brigitte Bardot, Cannibal Adderley, Ray Charles. Um, and it feels to me, to sort of fairly uneducated art, it feels quite sort of psychedelic in, in feel. Do, do you feel that with his work, that it kind of it, it very much reflected the, the sort of 60s um, environment? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, um, that that painting that you mentioned is, is kind of the, uh, like the epitome of, of that energy that he would um, sort of um, create, which was, um, yeah, you, you can call it psychedelic. Uh, or surreal, but uh, it's also very, uh, it's almost like pop art because it uses a lot of uh, popular imagery and, and popular symbol symbolisms that, that people connect to. So, um, so yeah, it's like a, a big um, soup of, of the culture around him. I, I mean, uh, he once, I remember him saying that he was like a, a funnel, so he would sort of like absorb the world around him and then sort of um, um, project it through his paintbrush. Um, but so yeah, I mean, his, 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 all of his paintings are, are really like a, one could say like a visual collage of, of everything that's going around within him interiorly and exteriorly. And did, what was his approach to making an album cover? I mean, did, would he, um, I mean, sometimes there were existing paintings I believe but would he sometimes ask the musician what they wanted or was it always them picking like out existing work um, uh, as you said um, I mean I, I think it's like a 50 50 um, a lot of the album covers were were commissions by musicians and I'm guessing that some had specific uh, directions and what they, they wanted and which you kind of you can kind of tell when you see the album cover, um, and others were more more open about it. I mean, I know that, for example, with Miles Davis, um, he he just would say like a. I mean, for for Pitches Brew, for example, he didn't really give any directions. He just let um, Matthew listen to the music one one day at a, at a Miles's house, and um, and from there um, Matthew made his own imagery. And um, other times he did, um, for example, Live Evil, which was the album cover for Miles Davis, which came after Bitches Brew. 
there I know he he Miles Davis spun my father and um, and uh, told him that he was doing this new album called Live Evil. Uh, so evil being live spelled uh, the other way around, mm-hmm. and that he wanted two image he wanted two images. One that was um, uh, um, projecting the idea of, of life, and the other one was evil. And, and the only thing he said. Um, was that for the evil side he wanted uh, a toad and, uh, and my father had just one hour before the phone call had finished the painting of a, an African pregnant woman mm-hmm. and and he said uh, you know I've just finished your live album cover an hour ago and Miles was like great now I want the evil side and while, while they were talking on the phone he was looking at a picture of uh, J. Edgar Hoover and uh, he said, okay, I've got your toad. So he just painted uh, Hoover as an evil toad. And that's the live evil um, cover. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, those are some directions, but as you can see, it was very minimal. I just said one word, like a toad, that's what I want. And uh, the rest goes up to the night. Um, and for other album covers, such as um, uh, Abraxas from Carlos Santana, um, that painting was actually done nine years before the album so they just used his painting for the album cover and um yeah and he uh he worked with miles davis who was i mean an, an undoubted musical genius and uh quite a hard person to work with i i believe you know a man who, who very much spoke you know said what he wanted to say he spoke his mind um was do they have a very easy working relationship? I mean, it, it sounds like it from from what you've said. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always heard that Miles was a, a tough guy and hard to maybe to communicate with. But um, I don't know. I think my dad had a very uh, peculiar sense of humor, and he was a charming person. And I think. Um, they connected and I also Miles Davis really admired his work. Uh, I guess Miles Davis was also um, was into painting as well. So I don't know, I guess maybe it was easier for for someone like my father who was a an, an painter uh, rather than if he was a musician collaborating with him. I'm not sure. What do you think musicians liked about his work? Um, I guess the universality of, of the, his paintings, um, because they, they're so um, full of uh, symbolism and and they mix so much um, so much imagery of, of the, the human existence and life and and from the past and the present and religions and and spirituality and. And, it's got, and they all have a bit of humor in them. Um, I guess they they almost become like this sort of I don't know, like all en- encompassing sort of um, um, holistic um, image that um, almost, even though they're hyper uh, realistic in terms of the, the technique, and they almost become like this sort of abstract thing of like what it is to be alive. So I guess that sort of reflects what music is, at least for me, that it's this sort of like um, 
spiritual I mean it's something that you can't really touch it's something um, abstract almost and I think that, that resonates with his work this sort of that um, that abstractness of the of the work we were just talking about this briefly um off, off mic um we, we were talking about the miles davis documentary um yeah. that we we've both seen quite recently can you just describe one of one of the incredible things in that documentary is is when they're talking about bitches brew and um <clears throat> there's a quote you know if you think the out al- something like you know if you think the album something wait till you see the cover and they just show this cover how, how, how did it feel to see that cover blown up on a on a cinema screen when when you saw it was it quite emotional yeah it was it was, uh, it was emotional and quite um i mean i was i mean i was very happy to, to see it there and it was it was shocking to see it so big because uh, it was a very big um, film screening and uh, i had never seen that that image blown up so big and in front of so many people watching it which is uh, it was really nice to to see his work being shown to a, a wide, um, a wide crowd, you know, a contemporary crowd. I mean, everyone has come across that image, uh, or everyone who's uh, interested in music or has done a bit of research in, in the music world has come across that image. But uh, no one really knows who the artist is. Not that they mention it in the documentary, but uh, they do give a. You know, they animated the, the artwork and they do give it like a, a minute, you know, a very nice moment to the painting, dedicated to the painting with that, that quote of Miles saying, um, someone quoting Miles saying, well, forget about the music, you all got to see this cover. And uh, that, that was, you know, I felt very um, uh, proud for, for him in that moment. Are you uh, a fan of the album? I'm, I'm, it's a complicated one because when I was younger, um, it's, I, I didn't really get into it that much and now I really enjoy it. Um, obviously it's, it's very experimental and it's got this, um, crazy structure that's not very, um, usual. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not something you just put on while you're, you know, having, hanging out with friends or, or doing stuff. You kind of want to like submerge into it and experience it and it's almost like a, psychedelic trip in itself that that music i can imagine a lot of people sitting in their rooms with listening to the album and just looking at the sleeve you know for hours and hours and hours on end which is quite yeah. a beautiful thing um do, do you have a favorite piece of of uh, your father's artwork uh not one in specific because there's so many paintings um there's about i mean there must be about 500 or more paintings uh, uh, that's another thing. A lot of a lot of people are confusing for an illustrator for album covers, but um, all his all the covers that you see are actual paintings on a, on you know on on a, on a piece of fabric. You know, they're oil paintings. And um, but uh, and and his his work has changed a lot throughout his his uh, career so like every decade or so they're kind of changed the style didn't change but the, the themes would change and I guess for me I, right now at this moment in my life I'm really enjoying the the landscapes that he were he was painting in the late 70s and early 80s because um, before that was a lot of like um, 
figurative and a lot of um, characters in his paintings. And then he, he decided he, he was going to concentrate more on this sort of surreal landscapes. And, and he would change, for example, he painted a lot of naked women in the 60s and, and in the 70s and 80s, he would, he would change the, the woman for rays of light and stuff. And it's mm -hmm. a different uh, vibe and uh, I really like those. I'm fascinated as well that he, he uh, painted portraits, commissioned portraits from everyone from Noel Howard, uh, Noel Coward, excuse me, to Richard Gere to Brigitte Bardot. It's an incredible, and Michael Douglas, which is <laughs> incredible. Yeah, he did a, well, Michael Douglas, he painted his, uh, his house in Mallorca. It was like a portrait of his house. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, yeah, he did, a, he did portraits for, um, for uh, John Kennedy. Uh, Jackie Kennedy had um, seen his work and, and commissioned some, he wanted to commission, she wanted Matthew to paint a portrait of the, of the then president. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matthew you know, sketched up some really quick paintings to send over and unfortunately he was shot before uh, they could start with the deal. Um, but yeah, he did a, he did a lot of um, portraits, yeah, a lot of society portraits. Yeah. I think many right now. Um, I forgot to ask this about Bitches Brew. Is it true that the original painting is lost now? Yeah, um, we're not sure where, where it is because um, it was sold to a family in, in, Mor in Morocco and uh, they had some, um, uh, after the owner died, uh, the family had some inheritance disputes and, and the paintings were stolen by one side of the family and we're not, we're not sure where, where they are right now. Um, I know my sister tried to do some investigating some years ago, and uh, uh, was didn't wasn't lucky. She didn't get any reply, so we don't we don't we don't know. They might uh, they might be sitting in someone's center somewhere. Who knows? Maybe we we think hopefully it's it's in someone's house who doesn't really know what uh, they have in their hands, and hopefully it'll, it'll research one day. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's at the moment it's disappeared and it's lost and the, the whereabouts are unknown. It's a shame. Is, yeah, it's, it's funny because it's, it's Matthew's most iconic image, but um, but nowhere to be found. But luckily, um, my dad would always take a, a photograph, um, like a professional photograph, um, high resolution photograph on. Um, with a medium format camera of all his paintings. So at least we have, you know, all the transparencies for all his work. And, you know, he was always say, um, the, the, it's what, in, what's important is the image and not the actual painting. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't know. I, I feel like every artwork has its own soul and, and, and uh, every, I think every painting also, every original painting has its own his own soul as well. So it's a kind of a shame that it's nowhere to be found, but you know, hopefully it'll, it'll come back. He also did a lot of work with John Hassel. Um, mm. Was that one of his most fruitful collaborations? John, John used three of Matthew's paintings for, for three of his albums. Um, they weren't direct commissions. Mm -hmm. Paintings that they were already, that had already been done, 
Um, no, actually, there's four. There's four of them. But um, so yeah, I guess that's one of his most you know uh, pr- fruitful collaborations. Um, but but John Hassel and and Matthew were very good friends, and they really got along. And I mean, you know, I remember growing up, uh, John would come and visit us in Mallorca, and um, so it, it was. It was. It wasn't only a professional relationship. It was a, a, a close friendship. Um, as you mentioned, largely um, he'd moved on to um, landscapes and portraits um, in the by the sort of late late seventies, eighties. But he did still do um, occasional record sleeves. I, I found it fascinating that there was one for Jam and Spoon in nineteen ninety seven. How did that happen? Yeah, that one. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, actually, because it's electronic music, right? Yes, yeah, it's sort of German trance act. Yeah, um, I, I never, I remember when I was, um, I must have been 14 years old in Mallorca and sort of my friends who were a bit older than me, the, the generation on top of me, uh, I went to one of their parties and, and uh, I remember seeing uh, my friend uh, DJing, you know, he had all these records there and one of the, one of the records had a, Matthew's painting on it, so that was the first time I um I saw that image on that record. But uh, I never asked my dad. I mean, and he he didn't tell he didn't tell me he wouldn't really talk much about you know his you know his encounters with musicians or his you know but um yeah. so all these things sort of pop up. But um I, I've got I've gone discovering um his work. Well, on my own, in terms of, I've gone discovering his collaborations with artists uh, on my own. For example, like uh, when I was a kid uh, growing up with him, I had obviously I had heard uh, you know the the Braxis yeah. album, a hundred films, uh, but I'd never even realized that my father had done the cover for that album. <laughs> um, it was only after him passing away, you know, I'm like looking around at stuff and, and reading and, and looking into stuff that I you know put the uh, join the dots together wow. so, um, so yeah that's, that's kind of like that was fun the, la- the last thing I want to ask you about is, is about your sort of experience I, I, I have um, a feeling and you know it, it feels to me like you, you must have grown up in a very sort of arty bohemian, <coughs> sorry, arty bohemian household is, is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess so, compared to other people, I guess. I mean, I can't, uh, I, I haven't lived a, another life, so I can't really compare. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my father was obviously a painter, my mother was also a painter. Um, and we were living in the countryside. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of an alternative um, lifestyle. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of art going on and, and a lot of artists coming to visit and, mm-hmm. and music and, and films. I mean, my, my father was also, he got me into filmmaking, you know, he bought, he bought me a camera when I was quite young. So, um, so yeah, I mean, all of that, I guess, has really influenced me. Well, look, thank you so much for talking to uh, me today. This is absolutely fascinating. Um and um, I mean, I was about to say for anyone that hasn't seen Matty's work, 
uh, go and look at Bitches Brew. But I'm I'm sure everyone's seen that. It's such a such an incredibly famous image. Um, but Abraxas is another incredible one. Um, there's there's many of them to go and see. Yeah, then we've got a website, mattyclarwineart.com, but it hasn't been updated in, in a long time. Um, but yeah, they, they, people can see his paintings there, or there's, a, there's an Instagram account, uh, Facebook, and all that stuff. And there, there, there are some books uh, that, that one could maybe find, find online, but um, there's one called Matthew and the Music, mm-hmm. uh, all his album covers, so that, yeah. that might online it's a beautiful book and uh yeah i mean it's all there so uh, hopefully i'm gonna print um his old books in the future and they can be on sale again because it's all like very collector's items at the moment in obscure websites 